Welcome to all who are visiting us today or who call Willingdon Church home. My name is Ray, and I'm one of the pastors at Willingdon. I have with me today my mug from Phuket, Thailand. It takes me back to a time with good friends and of walking the streets of Phuket in humid, sweltering, 40-degree Celsius weather. I have vivid images of my wife running from convenience store to convenience store going after air conditioning, desperately trying to cool down. For over two months here in BC, we've been committed to social distancing. Are you desperate to spend time with people you love? To go to your favorite restaurant? Or to get a much-needed haircut? A few weeks ago, I was getting desperate for a haircut. Judy, my wife, she said to me, I'll buy a hair clipper. That afternoon, she set me down in the kitchen, clippers in hand, and a how-to-cut-hair video playing on her device. It's a little unsettling when your hairstylist is learning to cut your hair while watching a YouTube video. She started at the back. I felt the clipper press in and heard her gasp. She gave me a reassuring pat on the back. The first time around, she left a bit of a a wing on the left side. I said, Judy, I won't be able to run in a straight line with that wing. She said, I'll fix it. So she went around my head a second time. She casually remarked, your hair has some interesting details now. You know, there's a spray you can use to cover patches. Not that reassuring. The next morning, as we woke up, she said, There's more light today. I'll fix the V in the back. I said, What V? Needless to say, my hair is shorter. If you need a haircut, I'm sure my wife has some free slots. Desperate times call for desperate measures. On a more serious note, are you desperately seeking something, perhaps a a degree or a healthier marriage, a close friend, a secure financial situation, a good retirement plan? What are you making sacrifices to acquire? A good way to determine, determine what you are actually desperate for is to ask yourself, what is generating fear and anxiety during this COVID-19 season? What should we be seeking? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul shares what he is most desperate for. Let's read. 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Above all else, Paul wants to gain Jesus, to know him personally and be one with him. He understands that true fulfillment comes from being united with Jesus. In this passage, Paul repeats some things about the message of Jesus the Philippians have already heard. It's for their protection. I believe it is a profound safeguard for us as well, whether we are hearing it for the first time or for the 20th time. Why? Because Paul clarifies the essence of the gospel in this passage, and we need to get it. He begins with a powerful warning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who are the dogs? And why are they a threat? You see, the Jews considered dogs to be the most despised of all animals. Perhaps their reality was similar to many eastern cities of the ancient world where herds of dogs prowled the streets without a home or an owner, feeding on the refuge and filth. It's hard for North, American, North Americans to believe that this reality is actually quite common in many parts of the world, even today. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs because they were considered ritually unclean, outside the chosen people of God. These Jews, often referred to as Judaizers, identified with the broader Christian community, but taught non-Jewish disciples of Jesus that they must first become Jews and then obey all the commandments of the Old Testament in order to be saved and mature spiritually. This teaching was abhorrent to Paul because he had been saved out of it. He knew their teaching would divert the Philippians away from full confidence in Jesus and enslave them again into a legalistic way of living that could never make them righteous. It would actually rob them of their newfound joy. So with biting irony, Paul says that the Judaizers who prowl around disciples of Jesus in Philippi seeking to win converts to their way of thinking deserve the label of dogs. Those who preach a righteousness through good works of the law are actually doing evil, he says, because they preach a way outside of Jesus. They have not embraced the great reversal brought by Jesus. This is seen in Paul's phrase, mutilate the flesh. It's a play on words with circumcision. Physical circumcision was the external mark of belonging to the Old Testament people of God. But too often the symbol led the Jewish people to wrongly put confidence in the mark rather than in their committed relationship to God. Physical circumcision was always meant to lead to a circumcision of the heart, 
a heart yielded to God and his purposes. Why, why is Paul so harsh in his language? Well, Paul is so categorical and passionate because he sees the lie of the enemy in the message of the Judaizers. He had experienced in his own life the impact of that lie. He wants to shake the Philippians out of any hint of complacency. He's fighting against a mindset that was actually contradictory to the message of Jesus. It compromised the gospel. It was a perverted gospel. So no matter what, be desperate to root out any thinking that contradicts the message of Jesus. You know, all world religions preach salvation based on merit. They promote an external righteousness that does not transform the human heart and will never make people right with God. Any message that adds some good work to the work of Jesus is a false gospel. After all, Jesus did not give his life to make bad people good. So why did he give his life? We'll come back to this in a minute. Something really popular on social media also preaches a false gospel. Getting married, hashtag blessed. Got a promotion at work, hashtag blessed. Feeling great, hashtag blessed. Got a new car, hashtag blessed. What's being communi communicated is that if, if I do well academically, do not suffer from any illness, have the model family, have attained financial security, then I am hashtag blessed. These things listed can be good in and of themselves, but they do not define what it means to be blessed by God. So what does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, let's look at the next verse. For we are the circumcision, this is verse 3, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The blessed people of God worship in communion with the Spirit. They have received the Holy Spirit, the great blessing, by becoming followers of Jesus. They trust in Jesus alone. They boast of who Jesus is and what he's done. They put no confidence in anything outside of Jesus. They're fully united with him. From Paul's perspective, either you trust fully in Jesus or you trust in the flesh. You cannot trust in Jesus plus something else. What is the flesh? Well, flesh is everything outside of Jesus. The flesh includes the privileges and achievements of man used to construct an identity before God and others. The corrupted, frail human condition, so in need of God's grace, including even the highest devotion, wisdom, religious zeal, and understanding of which humans are capable. We might ask, well, does Paul write these things because he lacks an esteemed pedigree? Is something missing in his life? Does he write these things because he was not an achiever? Absolutely not. He writes in verse 4, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, precisely in accordance with the Old Testament law. Of the people of Israel, he writes, not a proselyte or a convert to Judaism, 
of the tribe of Benjamin with the right distinguished ethnic and tribal background. A Hebrew of Hebrews. It's it's probably a summary statement. Paul had the Hebrew language. He had the culture. He had the ethnicity. He had the religion. He carried with him all the rights and privileges of belonging to the Jewish people. Could not have had a better pedigree. These first four items, they show that Paul had the best privileges and credentials imaginable. The last three items, they focus on his own achievements. And here they are. As to the law, a Pharisee. He chose a strict religious lifestyle, fully committed to the law. Verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was committed to rooting out any form of heresy or syncretism. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That doesn't mean that Paul considered himself to be sinless, but he was so dedicated to Jewish teaching that he was never found to transgress the law. In other words, he did not become a follower of Jesus because he had failed as a Jew. But after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he came to the full realization that he was the worst of sinners, blinded by his fervent religiosity. His credentials were actually a spiritual liability that deceived him into thinking that he had merit based on his ethnicity and religiosity. In other words, his righteousness was no righteousness at all, just religious pride. He would have identified with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64, verse 6. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, Paul did not despise his Jewish heritage, but rather the assumption that his heritage somehow made him superior to others and beyond the need for salvation in Jesus. During Ramadan, I was following a prayer guide for the Muslim world. One day I was instructed to pray for Jordan's King Abdullah. If any Muslim has reason for confidence in the flesh, he has more reason. He's a direct descendant of the Prophet Muhammad, head of the Hashemite dynasty, a Muslim of Muslims, respected and admired, considered to have remarkable wisdom. He is one of the most influential Muslims in the whole Muslim world. Should King Abdullah have confidence in his privileges, his reputation, and achievements for salvation? Every religion in the world, including Islam, wants to make bad people good. Good deeds should outweigh the bad. People should lift themselves up by their own ethical bootstraps and gain God's favor through sincere religious conviction. That is not the way of Jesus. Jesus did not come to make bad people better. Jesus came to make dead people live. The Christian faith is about knowing a person who, by the pure, amazing grace of God, did for us what we could never do for ourselves. So what did Paul do with his privileges and achievements? But whatever gain I had, he writes, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
Paul uses accounting language here. And his accounting or scorecard has changed completely. What formerly went into the gain column, his ancestry, his prestige, his religious fervor, now goes into the loss column. Why such a radical transformation in perspective? Well, after meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road, he experienced a profound conversion. The one whom he had assumed to be a loss was now the ultimate gain. His language actually echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Well, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Paul, he looks back on what he perceived to be an asset with horror because his assets were not only worthless, they were actually spiritual liabilities blinding him to his real need for Jesus. He calls them rubbish. Rubbish is actually a watering down of the word used here. Refuse is more likely. The King James Version renders it dung. Paul is stating his point in the most powerful way possible. Everything he might have been confident in, confident about, he now counts as rubbish in order to gain Jesus. He didn't just make a a subtle adjustment in his life when he came to faith in Jesus. He didn't just incorporate one additional element. He was converted completely. Jesus was his pearl of great price, his hidden treasure, his ultimate gain. More than anything, he wanted to be found in Jesus with his identity completely grounded in him. So no matter what, Be desperate to ground your identity solely in Jesus and nothing else. Be desperate to be fully surrendered to Jesus, to worship him, to put your trust in him alone, grounded in your new identity as a full member of God's family. So what do we currently have confidence in? We only need to read our resumes. (laughs) What do we include in those resumes? What do we exclude? Here, of course, is one of the deepest truths of the Christian faith that sets us free. Outside of Jesus, whether we are religious or not, we are often constructing our identities on our ethnic and cultural origin, our inherited identity, and on our achievements getting the right degree, the perfect job, attaining financial independence, having outstanding children and grandchildren. And this is very tiresome and fragile. Our constructed identity, it can be taken overnight. It only takes a crisis like COVID-19 or any other crisis. Here is the good news of Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, we're given a new identity in Jesus. This is why Paul is desperate to know Jesus and experience all the fullness of his relationship with him. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. These verses are profoundly theological, but also intensely personal. 
The essence of Paul's theology flows out of his personal relationship with Jesus. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul realized that his own efforts to obey the law could never make him righteous before God. It could never give him spiritual life. Paul abandoned that path when he counted as rubbish all those things he conceived as grounds for self-confidence before God. Paul gave up everything but was found in Jesus. This emphasis on union with Jesus is the central theme of his understanding of salvation. His oneness with Jesus, his union with Jesus, undergirded every step of the application of salvation to his life. Being found in Jesus, God now saw him as acquitted, fully justified, forgiven, not guilty. Jesus' lifelong record of obedience, of perfect obedience to the Father, was credited to him on his scorecard. Through faith in Jesus, Paul had right standing before the Father, and he was made alive in him. Paul goes on in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know here, it it expresses purpose or outcome. The goal of trusting Jesus for Paul is to know him personally, through experience, to know the power of his resurrection, not just have a knowledge of Jesus. When Paul speaks about knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection, he has in mind spiritual transformation into the likeness of Jesus, a transformation that takes place as he experiences the power of the Spirit at work in him, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We experience this power most fully when we share in Jesus' sufferings. We obey the Father and give up our own will which the way of Jesus calls dying to oneself, and instead saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, who truly gives life in a dying world. The storms of life, the crises, the struggle with evil, and the the, the attacks of the prince of darkness, these are just means God uses to transform us into the likeness of Christ. It happens through suffering, not in spite of it. Paul writes, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, Romans 8. This passage in Philippians 3, it runs parallel to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, where where Jesus emptied himself. He relinquished his privileges, became obedient to death, and was exalted. Paul lays down his Jewish privileges and religious achievements, dies to self, commits himself to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, and lives by the power of his resurrection. He also lives for his bodily resurrection because it will usher him into a new reality where he will be completely transformed into the likeness of Jesus, and he will have complete joy forevermore. So no matter what, Be desperate to know Jesus personally and be transformed into his likeness. 
In a section of town where I run, there are heritage homes. Many have been restored, but not all. On Queen's Avenue, there was a large home which was overgrown with vines, neglected, a real eyesore. Some people probably thought it should be demolished. About a year ago, the property was sold, and the new owners began the restoration process, stripping the vines off the walls, replacing the roof, repainting. As I ran by this week, I was amazed by the beauty of the home. I saw the owner in the front yard. Amazing transformation. Great job, I yelled. He grinned broadly. Before you and I came to faith in Jesus, we were in need of major renovation. Many would not have seen any potential in us, but God saw who we could become. He chose us, drew us to himself, placed the Holy Spirit within us. We were reborn, and the renovation process began. Some bad habits, they had disappeared instantaneously. That happened in my life, but other heart issues are still in process. Our minds are being renewed. I imagine the Father says to the Holy Spirit every now and then, amazing transformation, great work. And the Holy Spirit smiles. Paul desperately pursues his relationship with Jesus. He's been justified through faith in Jesus, forgiven, no longer guilty. He's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus as he experiences the power of his resurrection and shares in his sufferings. He wants nothing more than to be like Jesus. He knows he will be glorified, completely transformed into the likeness of Jesus when he is resurrected. This is what he lives for. So what are we desperate for? What will we choose to live for today? Maybe you want to surrender your heart to Jesus for the first time today. When we come to Jesus, we come just as we are, needing restoration. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, then I'd invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross to pay the price for my sin. Please forgive me for my rebellion, for leading my own life separate from you. I turn from my independence and my righteousness and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. I ask you to set me free from all guilt, shame, and fear. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead and are reigning over all things. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me from this day forward. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, why don't you click on the I commit myself to Jesus button. And now, please receive a prayer of blessing from the pastors and staff of Willingdon Church. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.